Hello and welcome to Autodidacts Anonymous. My name's Matt and I'm an autodidact. And my name is Huddo and I too am an autodidact. That's impressive projection, Huddo. Thank you for that. Um, so, as I said in our last podcast, I'd like to start off with a question for you asking, I, it doesn't matter who we are because we're not very important, but what it is that we do and why we're doing it. Right. We... Um... Matt was the one who started us off saying that uh, we have lots of interesting conversations with friends about the, uh, the big picture questions of life and Matt said other people might be interested in hearing what we talk about and so we've enabled that to happen by the wonders of technology. And it turns out they're not, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there is that. You know, we've looked at the number of other possibilities like you know, that we're trying to form a new... A new religion where we are the gods and this sort of thing, but uh, we don't think that's going to We need to get traction much. before we can uh, get any success with that. Exactly so. so. Mm. We are spreading some enlightenment and knowledge to the world, maybe, well, we'd like to believe it anyway. Yeah, and I am also finding that I'm learning a hell of a lot myself, so that's actually my main motivation. Exactly so. My conversation with you, Matt, is as a sounding board of ideas, I learn a lot too, and I also learn how to express what I'm trying to what I'm working on in ways that other people can understand. Since we've been doing this podcast, I've noticed that in conversations about ideas that I have with people that I do articulate myself better because I'm, yeah, it's something you don't tend to practice. Correct. And, yes. and we get a good chance to, to practice that in this, uh, in this format. And uh, I'm loving it, Hutto. Yeah, it's all good stuff. We, are, we do greatly enjoy this. This is why we, we're doing it in the first yeah. place. We've and you enjoy it so much that if I haven't got my notes ready in time, you get quite stroppy with me, don't you, Hutto? Oh, only marginal. I haven't resorted to the whip yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time. So uh, the thing you didn't mention, Hutto, is, is, is our platform for um, having these discussions is we read interesting books. Absolutely. And then we discuss the uh, ideas at hand. So we're, we're still on our first book, although we're up to the last chapter today. Almost. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to, uh, this is our second last podcast on this book, and then we're going to get together in a week's time and talk about give a synopsis of the book, talk about it in general. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my probably my 10 key takeaways that, right. I've, that I've actually learnt out of the book, and I don't know what you're doing, but I'm sure you'll figure something out. Oh, it's, um, this is the must-not-miss episode. <laughs> and, uh, a week from now, we'll know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about Chapter 20 of um, Yuval Noah Harari's book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and it's called... The end of Homo sapiens. So we're not talking about the past or the present anymore, Hutto. We're talking about the future. Indeed. So, and some of it is, can be a bit scary to read. So there's a few interesting ideas. A lot of it's speculation, but based in uh, sound logic and ideas, as Harari usually does. It's kind of a lead into his next book, Homo Deus, yeah. which we'll definitely get around to at some stage. But um, no, next planned book is The Ascent of Money, and I think that's going to be very yep. good for us too. And the subtitle of Homo Deus is A Brief History of Tomorrow, yes. which, is, which is a bit clever, I think. Yes. So in the beginning of this book, Sapiens, we begin by saying history is the next stage in the continuum of physics to chemistry to biology. That's basically the first sentence we said when we started the podcast, Hello. Yeah, I'm not sure that I entirely agree. He was introducing us to what those sciences are. Um, but nevertheless, I'm not going to raise a dispute with you on that. that. That theme was definitely in there. 
Um, but nowadays you could argue that history via cultural change and culture has been more significant to our way of life, at least since the agricultural revolution. But what you can't argue is that we can break the scientific restraints that have always restrained us. Indeed. Um, so until now, or in the very near future, Homo sapiens is beginning to transcend these scientific limits, Hutto. I think we... I think we've been doing so for, yeah, a century or two. Yeah. So we're breaking, beginning to break the laws of natural design and replacing them with intelligent design. Yes. Now, intelligent design is something we normally um, attribute to a supernatural being, but in this case, we're talking about our own intelligent design. Yes. Um, just to toss in the example of what's being talked about here, for example, in nature... If we have sex, in due course, somebody's going to get pregnant and that's going to result in children. We broke that law at least 50 years ago with the advent of the pill. Even before that, we managed to get to condoms and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's an example where our behaviour can now change with relation to sex because we've broken the law with nature that results in having children. Yep. Um, so humans are starting to design themselves rather than an omnipotent god. Alleged, yes. Allegedly doing so, or evolution doing so. Yeah. Uh, the first crack in the old regime occurred during the agricultural revolution, when humans discovered that they could selectively breed their domesticated plants and animals to make them better satisfy their own purposes. Yes. So, for example, Hutto, if you had a fat hen and a slow rooster, you could breed them together to produce fatter, slower chickens. Which is a wonderful thing. It's a dream of humanity. Big, fat, slow A big, slow fat, birds. slow chicken. You don't find too many of them in the wild. Indeed. Uh, and as you continue to do this throughout the generations, they get fatter and slower. And, and voila, you've altered the species. Exactly, and produce bigger eggs too. Yeah, so this is an, an example of intelligent design performed by Homo sapiens. Um... But as opposed to an omnipotent deity, we are restricted in our power, Hutto. Yes. So we can use selective breeding to detour around and or accelerate the natural selection processes of chickens, but uh, we can't introduce new, completely new characteristics. Well, at least we couldn't we introduce could. completely new characteristics that were completely absent from the chicken gene pool. So it would have been handy to have a pet chicken that grew ivory tusks, I reckon, because you could see, you could soar off the tusks and make a lot of money. Indeed. But we weren't able to do that, are they? We couldn't, no. Yeah. But, um, however, things are getting better. <laughs> Soon we're going to be breeding elephants <laughs> big, and chickens. Big tusk chickens are on the way. So they're going to be big, fat, slow chickens. Yeah, just... yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but today we're actually on the cusp of a new biological revolution, aren't we? Uh, scientists in laboratories the world over are selectively engineering living beings. For example, and I didn't know this, one scientist has produced a fluorescent green rabbit by implanting a gene from a green fluorescent jellyfish into the embryo of a white rabbit. And uh, I Google image that on the internet and lo and behold, I've got a, a, a photo of a cute little bunny Glowing green. Absolutely. <laughs> so it must be true. I don't think they photoshopped it, Hutto. Um, so man stands at the precipice of inventing life via his own intelligent design rather than relying on natural selection. Yes, and uh, Michael Crichton wrote what, in my opinion, is probably his best book ever um, called Next, 
which was looking at where the whole genetic technology thing was back in about 2004 or whatever, yep. made a nice little fictional story on it. Um, but it was an eye-opener to me as to where they got to, and of course they've been working on it for 16 years since then. And at that time they were already doing things like, you know, fluorescent rabbit, complete with a brand name on it and things like that. Um, really thought-provokingly scary as to what we can do yeah. with this new technology. Yeah, yeah. So, as, as you know, there's been an ongoing debate between scientists and evolutionists and advocates of intelligent design about how life kind of was designed and got started in the first place. And we may well resolve this debate, Hutto, by figuring out that scientists were right about the past and that evolution designed us in the past, but intelligent designers are right about the future. Could well be. This is man playing at God and we're doing it more and more. Yep. So, at the present time, and this will change over time, it appears that natural selection may be replaced by intelligent design in one of three main ways. Yeah. The first one is biological engineering. Yes. The second one is cyborg engineering. Indeed. And the third one is the engineering of inorganic life. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about these three things in this podcast. So, firstly, biological engineering. It can be defined as deliberate human intervention on the biological level aimed at modifying an organism's shape, capabilities, needs or desires in order to serve the needs of humans as per our green fluorescent rabbit hutter. Yes. So there's nothing new about biological engineering. So people have been doing it uh, for a long time to reshape themselves and other organisms. So, for example, uh, after the agricultural revolution, humans discovered that castrating bulls basically made them a lot tamer, yes. less aggressive and easier to tame and easier to use them to pull the cart with. Yes. Okay. Um, another example is human males being castrated in order to create soprano singers yeah. or trusted eunuchs to caretake a ruler's female harem. Yep. Um, but today we have even more capabilities. Yes. All right. Not only can we castrate a male, we can actually change his sex to female via surgical and hormonal treatments. Yep. Whether you regard these things as being greater blessings or greater curses is uh, a bit of both. I bit of both, and depends on context as well. So, as remarkable as they are, these abilities are just the beginning of it, um, and it does, as you uh, have sort of alluded to throughout this podcast, it raises a lot of ethical, political, and ideological issues. Yeah. So, for example, animal rights activists are alarmed at the suffering caused to lab animals in genetic engineering experiments. Yep. And human rights activists are also concerned that biological engineering may create supermen who will enslave the rest of us. Indeed. The logical step is we end up with reproduction by cloning and who owns the cloning machines. Hmm. So, because of these concerns, we're basically, we've got the break on. We're only really doing a fraction of what we could technologically be doing. Yes. Okay. Most organisms being engineered today are those with the, the weakest political lobbies. Yes. <laughs> such as plants, fungi, bacteria and insects. Yes. Um, and the fish are not really well represented either. No. Um, 
It does happen in the case of mammals, though. So there's some biological engineering going on in the in the mammal space as well. So uh, many cows suffer from mastitis, yeah. which is a disease that strikes their udders. And scientists are currently experimenting with genetically engineered cows to produce a substance called lysostaphin in their milk. Mm-hmm. And lysostaphin is a biochemical that attacks the bacteria responsible for mastitis. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one, which is good for the bacon lovers out there, is the pork industry is experimenting with an engineered line of pigs implanted with genetic material from a worm, which turns their bad, you know, inverted commas, yeah. omega-6 fatty acid into good, in inverted commas, omega-3 yeah. fats. So other achievements include increasing the life expectancy of worms and engineering mice that display much improved memory and learning skills. Uh, yep. And they've also engineered engineered a species of rodent called a voil, which I hadn't heard of before, so that it becomes monogamous. Apparently these voils are promiscuous by nature, but they've managed to biologically engineer voils so that they're promiscuous and stay with one partner for life. Yeah, and this is one of the most terrifying potentials that's available out there. Um, we can make obedient, docile populations. We can make there are populations we can make monogamous populations. Monogamous populations. That's terrifying. <laughs> well, there are what this does to the whole concept of free choice, virtue, heavenly whatevers, etc. Is you know we can probably get it to the stage where we can match make. So that this male is made for this female, and both of them cannot be anything except attracted to and loyal to each other. Mm. Um, Now, this is very desirable in terms of social cohesion, social control, stability of society. What does it do to things like the idea of the battle between good and evil? The idea of God, obedience and virtue, you know. Adultery has now been made impossible. Is this good? My thought is that we would become slaves to a new biological paradigm, which is no different to the fact that we're slaves to a biological paradigm now. I mean, you talk about the risk of free choice and virtue. You could argue that those things aren't changing, it's just that our biology changes. Well, some would argue, of course, that uh, we have no such thing as free choice anyway, and that we are all slaves to our uh, biological nature or to circumstances. This just adds another kink to that that story. So you you may well be worrying about something that doesn't even exist in the first place. Well, what, what I'm saying is these things are throw a totally different power. They don't just raise ethical questions. They change the entire ethical power. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, my point there is, yeah, I'm not saying I don't, I'm not worried about it. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying, okay, we've changed the paradigm. We're already in a paradigm. It's not, you know, we don't want to make the mistake of thinking, okay, currently we're not in a paradigm and then we'll be in a paradigm. We're already in a paradigm and, and, you know, whether, whether changing that is good or bad, in a sense, remains to be seen and remains to be thought out, yeah. but uh, it's not bad on the face of it. 
Yeah, look, we're, we're totally on the same page here, Matt, and the yeah. points you're making are exactly the points I, I'm glad you're making. Okay, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a mark for that, even if you get my, a question my good, wrong. I got a mark. Sam, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've realised the secret to getting high marks, hello. So, geneticists can transform living beings, and we've just given a few examples, examples of that. But they can also revive extinct creatures as well, such as in the movie Jurassic Park. Yes. Hello. So Bring back the velociraptors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, for example, the genome of the woolly mammoth has been mapped, mm -hmm. and there are plans to, as of 2014, I don't know if they've done it uh, as of I'm, 2020. My understanding is they haven't, but it's still on the books. Yep. Their plans are to inject a fertilised egg cell of a modern-day elephant with reconstructed mammoth DNA to allow the first mammoth in 5,000 years to be born. I believe the mammoth problem is habitat. We bring these mammoths in, they've got to live somewhere, and even our existing elephants are being squeezed for... Well, in a sense, that's the problem with every living yeah. creature, as we destroy their habitats. Yeah. So, we take up more <laughs> so once more. again, the mammoth isn't unique in, in no, that. No, 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 that's right. I'm busy sending white rhinoceroses and everything else extinct through lack of habitat, and bringing back... <laughs> The species we've made extinct. <laughs> well, hold that thought because we're going to get back to that in a big way in about three minutes. Right. Um, no, in, in fact, three seconds because using the same technique, we could actually map the genome of Neanderthals and implant the ovum of a sapiens woman to produce a Neanderthal child. Yep. And so... One of the ethical arguments for that is if we made them extinct in the first place, which we're not 100% sure about, but, no. <laughs> but that's what we tend to do, yeah. then maybe it's an um, obligation of ours to bring them back. Uh, and the other thing I want to say before you comment is that apparently several human women have already volunteered to be the surrogate mother to a Neanderthal. Yeah, that's, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> kinky one in itself, isn't well, it? Well, I don't know if it's kinky, but it's, you know, it's... Uh, you know, God, I, I don't know if I'd want to give birth to a Neanderthal, but, you know, that's probably just my biases coming to the fore. Look, there's a lot of... Um, we. It's not clear to what extent creating some sort of crossbreed between a chimp and a human being, which is a bit of a spoiler alert here, but that comes up in next as well. Um, but it's certainly doable, and... There are various ways of creating various forms of sapien. Um, the issues are very ethical, you know. Yes, we can create a slave race. Um, how, how exactly do we plan to bring these up? What sort of rights do we give them? They may be stronger than we are, but not as intelligent, or we can breed for intelligent. All sorts of questions. Yeah. What are the interbreeding rights of them from there on? And it, it also will allow us to learn more by comparing the brains of Neanderthals and Absolutely. humans. Because we're trying to figure out what caused the cognitive revolution yeah. 70,000 years ago, because it didn't happen with the Neanderthals and it did happen with us. That's and right. the chances are that's probably due to a few internal changes in the brain structure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would be very interesting to find out what that is. Absolutely. And so, again, you've got the, uh, to what extent 
do the ends justify the means in terms of discovering yeah, the ethical new... considerations? Yeah. yeah, and that's the stuff that's like. I mean, we'd be fifty years more advanced if it wasn't for ethical. When I say more advanced, more progress yes. down this line if there was no ethical that's considerations. Correct. That's and, what's holding us up. And at the same time, if those <coughs> grave robbers hadn't been digging people out, our anatomy would not be as advanced as it is now. Mm. And being the subject of a very clever heart operation myself, I'm quite glad that our Medical yeah. technology has so. So you're, you're, you're part cyborg yourself, Haddo? Uh, actually, no, I didn't put anything. Oh, you haven't got anything artificial? No, it came close, but apparently not. Okay. Just traded up what was there. Well, one of the one of the random facts that I have in my uh, little brain is that human beings share forty nine percent of their DNA with bananas. Ah. Uh, so let yeah. me let me finish my outrageous statement. Yeah. So here's what I'm here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing we breed humans with banana arms. Right. And the human gets to eat them because the, the bananas grow back every season. So you get to peel your arm and eat it when you're hungry. And, you know, maybe we can speed up the growth cycle and we can just eat banana our own banana arms all day. Well, regeneration of limbs, of course, is one of the big appeals. Of yeah, but I'm, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about banana arms, I, I, I know. <laughs> this is even better. You're talking about the feeding yourself then. <laughs> Uh, I think there were a couple of horror sci-fi picture stories being written about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought of that, as you can tell, because it was a ridiculous uh, idea. But it might be possible. It may be possible, Hutto. That's all I'm saying. One day. Not now, but maybe one day. I used to bite my own fingernails. It's only an extension, sure. Well, that's right. And 49% of DNA, that's a lot of DNA in common. Well, yes, this is, of course, is... I mean, the mere fact that two creatures have DNA at all means they share a lot in common. Yeah. Right. So, why would we stop at Neanderthals, though, Hutto? If we can resurrect Neanderthals, right. why wouldn't we design a better sapiens with banana arms? Well, of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to regret that ridiculous uh, analogy. It turns out that the sapiens genome is barely more complex than that of mice. Indeed. So it would be within our capabilities to basically make ourselves better genetically. As, as I understand it, the, actually the most complex DNA of any species is a fungi. Really? Yeah. And we've been picking on them for ages. We've been picking on them. They do not have a powerful lobby, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> they need the fungi lobby. Yeah. But we are really only just discovering just how important fungi are to the whole biosphere of this planet. Just before we make them extinct as well, are they uh, are they on the way out? Hello? Well, it's it's kind of being discovered that this would be a really bad idea. Mm. I've always found fungi very important for hallucinogenic reasons. So mm. I'm not sure if they come in handy for anything your, else. Your um, <laughs> tendency towards practical experimentation is <laughs> noted. <laughs> mm. No, I've actually never taken mushrooms. In in all honesty, but uh, something I'm curious about. Um, so maybe, getting back to the humans thing, maybe we could create far-reaching alterations to not only our, only our body, bodies and right. you know, physiology, but our immune system. Yes. Our life expectancies, Hutto. We're yes. getting back to the Gilgamesh project again. Yep. But also to our, our minds, so our intellectual and emotional capabilities. Yes. Look, already they have managed to get rid of a whole bunch of genetic ailments, um, they can measure them, tell whether a, uh, a child still in the womb is, um, is carrying genetic markers for Parkinson's, stuff like that. And they can eliminate a lot of these problems. 
and the the promise of genetic engineering is that we could probably get rid of most of them and introduce you know greater immunities for things like malaria and stuff like that yeah um the idea that we could get rid of people suffering terrible brain ailments um and so raise the iq of the human race by 50 percent yeah you know even if we just got rid of the bottom half that automatically <laughs> does it then then they've oh, got, i don't like where this is going yeah, <laughs> then they've also got techniques for raising the intelligence of, of the rest you know mm-hmm. and it, it gets us back to the whole world of brave new world and everything like this yeah um, just on the IQ thing, which is slightly off topic, I don't think our lack of IQ is the problem. I think our lack of EQ is probably more of a problem. Well, than comment. Um, in Brave New World, they set up one island of alphas, as they called them, who were all the very intelligent ones, and they promptly disputed, fought with each other, and blew themselves to pieces, as it were. Yeah, in Survivor, they had a season once in American Survivor where they had brains versus brawn versus right. beauty. Yeah. And the brains tribe didn't go that well. Right. They had all these really smart people. But, yeah, um, yeah I think the brawns did the best overall that season, from memory. I didn't watch that season, but I'm a bit familiar with it because I quite like Survivor. Um, so if we can do all this, Hutto, we might even be able to, or we're probably likely to, trigger a second cognitive revolution. So not only will we, not, no sooner will we have found out why we had the first one, because we'll bring back the Neanderthals, that won't matter anymore, because we'll, we will have had a second one. We will have turned ourselves into the Neanderthals. Yes. Yeah. That's very well said. And we'll create a revolutionary, well, could create a revolutionary new human consciousness and transform the species to something else entirely. Yes. And Where do I sign her? Well, <laughs> Harari would probably say that in one sense this is almost inevitable. Y- yeah, there is a there is a, a theory out there that if something is scientifically possible, then it will happen. Yes. Um, you know, like you, you you get slowed down by politics and ethics and all these other things, but it, it doesn't stop the train. That's right. The big the big trend, the satellite view, is that. You get there eventually. Yes, because it. the problem with the human lifetime is it's it's a blink of an eye, and so if yeah. you if you take the perspective of your lifetime on things, you just not you're just going to miss the forest for the trees. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Napoleon and Hitler both failed to actually unify Europe, but nevertheless, it's pretty much. Got well, I mean, anyway. I actually think Hitler was old-fashioned for his time anyway. I mean, he, <laughs> he was trying to be Napoleon. I mean, yeah, they, they, there was no point in trying to take over Europe in, no. the, in the mid twentieth century. He's <laughs> bloody mad. <laughs> You know, he was basically... He was a victim of an old paradigm. We love throwing the word paradigm. It's so useful, the word paradigm. Mm. Okay, so that's biological engineering, though. Now we're talking about bionic life or cyborg cyborg engineering, which is what you are not. I've just found out. I thought you were a cyborg. Uh, I not. came close, but apparently not. <laughs> You're nearly a cyborg. They haven't put a pacemaker in me yet, either, <laughs> but, I mean, many, many people already have them. Oh, once you have another heart attack, you'll probably get one. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> My tennis elbow that will never go away, I guess. The only man I've ever met or ever heard about who won a squash point after having a heart attack. <laughs> well, that's, that's the greatest achievement I've ever heard of. If you never do anything else, Hutto, that's going on your tombstone. <laughs> yeah, it, it is true that I was playing squash against my familiar opponent and uh, 
I was having trouble, but nevertheless, I still managed to win. You managed one last last sort of lunge at the ball and just got it over the little barrier and did a little drop shot that he couldn't well, get to. to be fair, he was kind enough to hit the ball right back at me when I was utterly uncanny. He must have been a good friend because when you have a heart attack, he makes sure he hits the ball straight back to you. Well, he actually thought that I was doing what this good squash player should do and then move to the centre, but I wasn't yeah. able to move anymore. Maybe it was useful to you psyching him out during matches. Maybe you've been faking heart attacks for years, I don't know. Anyway, within a week of that, they were operating on me to fix my heart. Still the best <laughs> achievement I've ever heard anyone ever doing, so uh, yeah, I'll always give you credit for that. Um, so cyborg engineering is the combination of organic and inorganic parts to create a new type of organism, so e.g. a human being with a pacemaker. Yes. Okay. We're already, already doing this in a limited way um, because we wear eyeglasses, we have pacemakers, we, we wear orthotics on our feet. Mm -hmm. And you could even argue that computers and mobile phones are really extension of our brains, yes. our memory and our data processing capabilities. Um, we stand on the brink of becoming cyborgs. Yes. Now, we're talking about inevitability. Well, that is, that is inevitable. It's That's, happening. You yeah. know, because it doesn't... It, yeah, it's happening and we know it's happening and it's just happening. Yeah. Um, so the US military research agency is developing cyborg insects by implanting electronic chips, detectors and processors in the body of a fly or cockroach. Yep. And then they can be used to control the insect's movements and you can fly the insect into a top secret meeting by uh, Al-Qaeda or whoever yep, it happens yep. to be. The literal fly on the wall. And you can use the bug as a, as a bug hunter. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh... And you could do that, that's using today's technology, yeah. I think. I think they've already developed that. And it's been in science fiction stories for quite some time. Philip K. Dick used it in one, but um, yeah, it's no reality. It's not science fiction anymore, hello. Yeah. And the US Naval Undersea Warfare Center is working on a cyborg shark which can combine the natural magnetic detecting capabilities of sharks with the ability to control the shark's movement to identify submarines and mines underwater. Yeah. Yeah. The newest generation of hearing aids are called bionic ears and a German company is developing a retinal prosthesis that may allow blind people to regain their sight. Yeah. Um, That's all good. Yeah, the ethics of this are really interesting, you know. We can breed a whole lot of cyborg sharks who have a real attraction to magnetic mines. It clears minefields excellently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not great for the shark. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Artificial limbs have been developed that allow the user to control their limb by the use of their brain weight. So prosthetic arms and legs have been around for ages. Yeah. But now they're making them so that you can move your arm in the same way that I move my natural arm. Just yes. by thinking about it, it's no more difficult, right? Yeah. Um, currently, they're a little bit primitive in that yeah. they don't give t uh, the sense of touch feedback. Yes. Because they're made out of plastic or whatever. But they're working on that so that you get the sense of touch and also they're, they're working on the subtleties of movements and things. And yeah. they're essentially going to be as good as, as real arms. Look, the progress has been amazing. And, of course, the other thing is the artificial arm can be stronger, less yes. it can tolerate greater heat. Well, I grew up watching The Six Million Dollar Man on television yes. and he had, I think he had two bionic legs and a bionic arm. That's and right. Oh, boy, could he, was he good in a fight. Oh, the stupid things they did. <laughs> he put one hand out. 
to hold the lift and the other hand would hold it <laughs> and he would apparently stop it and you're saying uh, the pressure on each arm is equal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the arms was a natural arm anyway. That's right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the thing about these artificial limbs, Hutto, is they don't have to be in the same room as you. So yeah. they've done experiments w with a rhesus monkey where they've had their brains implanted with electrodes that allow them to control an artificial limb on the other side of the country. Yeah. So what he can do is he can scratch himself yeah. And then steal a banana on the other side of the country. Exactly, yeah. But you, can you see the problem with that line I of thinking? I can see that. He was, can't eat his banana, Hutto. I was going to raise it myself. And we but, come back to the banana arms. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the old monkey trap, you know. He's, uh, he's managed to grab the orange, but he's not going to let go of it. It's on the other <laughs> side of the planet, stupid. <laughs> so some humans... Uh, suffer from a condition called locked-in syndrome, which yeah, is a terrible it's, thing. It's terrible. So it essentially means you're basically in a coma. So you're immobile and you're lying in a hospital yes. bed, but you have full consciousness. You're awake. You can yes. hear people, blah, 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 but you can't move any of your muscles. You can't speak. You can't do anything. Yeah. Can't eat bananas. And it's um, it's another version of the sleeping sickness plague that struck Europe in the nineteen. 20th century, I can't. I'm not familiar with that. No, well, we'll deal with it another time. <laughs> oh, well, don't bring it up then if you don't want to elaborate. <laughs> um, so, uh, scientists are playing around with uh, implanting electrodes into their brains that may allow them to communicate with the outside world. Yeah. Uh, currently, they can move their uh, eyeballs. So, yes. you know, for yes, look to the right, for no, yeah. look to the left, which yeah. is obviously pretty limited, right? Um, now, taking this technology to the next level, we might even actually get to a point where we're able to read other people's minds. So when you think about it, you're communicating with this person who, in a sense, can't communicate. Yeah. It's really like reading their mind, in a sense, well, isn't it? So then it's a small step to be able to read people's minds. This is getting back to the whole 1984, when you can't even have a secret thought, and the thought police are on you, you know. Yeah, like, but they don't read your mind in that book. They just, they, they can figure it out from your behaviour, can't they? Correct, yeah. yes, but then you've got the thought police. But it was a crime to have a, a bad thought. thought. Yeah. Now they can actually read your oh, thought. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably the most revolutionary technology being worked on is a direct two-way brain-to-computer interface, yeah. which will allow humans and computers to communicate directly via the use of brain waves only. Yep. So now we're talking about the ability to upload memories and experiences into the collective cloud, Hutto, uh, so that others won't just read about what Napoleon, for example, did in his journeys. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can do it with Napoleon because his brain's gone. But yeah. for the for the modern equivalent of, of Napoleon, you know, if we if we had Napoleon's brain uploaded to the cloud, I could go and be Napoleon for all intents and purposes. This creates a whole new thing to virtual reality. Yeah. You can move into Napoleon's world as Napoleon. Um, and how different is it? And how do you tell the difference? Well, the difference is, in a sense, in the technologies, rather than me observe Napoleon from a distance, I can get inside Napoleon's head. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about collective mind. Yes. Yes. Know? So it's not just one person that, that can, you know, there can right. be a, you yeah. know, you were talking about enhancing our IQs. Well, if you get 10 people in the same brain or a million people in the same brain. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got the, uh, 
you know, we've already got multiplayer games like uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah. Where you enter into that with a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. This would be a whole further step. Yeah. Where you're we talk about the hive mind. So you, yes. you get on Twitter and you, you, you feel the vibe of the hive mind, what yeah. people are thinking and talking about, although you can go into little, little subsections and get completely different hive minds, I suppose. Um, but such a cyborg, when, I really should start saying when rather than if yeah. we develop this stuff, uh, would no longer be human. Well, no, that's right. It, it won't even be wholly organic or at all organic. Yeah. Right? It, uh, it's a completely new type of being. Yes. Okay. So we're certainly giving evolution a helping Well, hand. with the cyborg, it is going to be pastured organic. And for example... Oh, that's true. Um, things like uh, qualia, we don't know how to do that in hardware. Well, it, I don't know what qualia is. Qualia is our sense of, uh, of beauty, our sense of touch. Oh. Um, a sense of pleasure, these sort of things. Yeah. Um, we don't know how to make a computer know any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but if we can put a human brain yeah, into exactly the computer... That's part of the mix. Yeah. That's that right. would be easier than actually replicating the human correct, brain, if you correct, like. Yeah. Yeah. So this, these are some of the benefits of going down the cyborg route. Yeah, okay. So the next thing is not cyborg anymore. We're talking about engineering completely in organic beings. Yep. Uh, the most obvious obvious example in today's world, they've been around for a long time, Yeah. Uh, computer viruses. Yes. So they can undergo independent evolution. Yeah. Um, a computer virus can spread throughout the internet. It can replicate itself millions of times uh, whilst competing with other viruses and programs for scarce computer resources. And also contending with vicious predators and enemies such yep. as antivirus programs. Sounds like life to me, Hutto. Oh, look, this has been uh, in the science fiction for quite some time. One of the best treatments of it is in uh, Dan Simmons' book, Starting with Hyperion, with the whole, uh, the whole four cantos going on to Endymion and the rise of Endymion. But you'll also find it, for example, in books like Eon and things like that. Computer viruses becoming the basis of life within a cyber network. Yep. So these viruses can even mutate, or in another word, evolve. Yes. Uh, to possibly survive better in cyberspace. Yes. Uh, so now we're really talking about an inorganic life form. Yes. Um, so it's not like this stuff is science fiction. I mean, this stuff's out there now. Well, yes, in prototype it absolutely is. Well, the, the, computer viruses the, aren't prototypes. No, no. It's, no, it's reality. They've been around for... Uh, 30 years? More than that, actually, yeah. more like 50. Yeah, right. Um, and the other thing, too, is... Uh, yeah, you, we've got all sorts of films about it, uh, from uh, Terminator to whatever as well. Yeah. Um, viruses start to also control... The Internet of Things and um, all the devices and stuff like that, even before they move to being robots. Yeah. Uh... yeah. So, suppose you could back up your human brain to a laptop computer, Hutto. Would your laptop now be you? Would it be thinking and feeling like you? Well, only if it's able to do the qualia as well. There may be more to... But if we've, if we've uploaded your brain... Yeah, but see, this is the question of, is there more to my brain than simply information? Right. Okay. So, would it be you or someone else? We'll find that out, I suppose. Um, is it a person now? Well, all these good questions yeah. relating to artificial intelligence. If you deleted the program, would you be arrested for murder? Indeed. Now, there's a really good book called Grey Matters, where they had the ability to take a brain and 
effectively put the brain into storage and yep. do things with it. And they then found ways of backing the brain up onto tape, as it were. And there were very good questions raised. Of, okay, if the brain gets destroyed, but the tape is still there, which could be read back into another brain, but we haven't got any brain, spare brains to read it back into. Mm. Is the person dead or alive? If yeah. we delete the backup, are they yeah. dead? All these sort of very good questions. Yeah, yeah. So the, there's a project underway at the moment called the Human Brain Project, which, which is trying to do exactly this. Yes. Okay. And really it's just funding that's probably going to stop them from being able to do it. Yeah, funding and ethics committees, such they, right. Yes. So they expect to be able to achieve this within a, within a couple of decades. Yeah. And in 2013, the EU gave them a billion euros. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. And the United Nations is supporting the Sophia development, who's the robot that really specialises in human interfacing. I don't know if you're familiar no, with no. Sophia. Oh. Uh, she's the most human-like robot out there. She's got facial expressions and all that sort of thing. Now, when we say she, although there's supposedly only one Sophia project, as it were, I think they've already got something over 20 prototypes that they work on, but they're all identical. Are they individuals or are they collectives? Well, this is the point. They are, each is an individual, but they are, there's no way of identifying one from another, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Um, so, She's been made a citizen of Saudi Arabia. Yes, I did know. I did hear something about that's that. Right. Well, that, that's the one. Yeah. But in fact, they could send any of the 20 prototypes to Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia would not be able to tell which one it was. Does she develop independently? She, no, at this stage, she is only being developed. Yeah. But, but again, that's a hard thing, because she does learn in terms of increased information. Yeah. And so, so you could have one in Saudi Arabia, and they'd probably end up being a devout Muslim, and then put one in, uh, you know, India, and they might end up being a devout Hindu. Well, again, this gets back to things like shared belief systems. It's not clear that an AI automatically has a belief system at yeah. all. Yeah. Okay, so we've been talking about bioengineering, cyborgs, and inorganic life and how they're becoming a reality and affecting the reality that we all live in. Yes. Um, the era of personalised medicine has begun. So we can now map a human's entire DNA for a few hundred bucks. Yes. <laughs> and your doctor basically knows everything about your genetic makeup. So yes. he could give you a tablet which will fix your pneumonia or something, yeah. which would kill me. Yes. And there's no risk of it killing you because he knows everything about your genetic makeup. That's right. Personalised medicine. Yeah. So... Um, that sounds like it, there's some potential in that. Um, but the ethical issues abound, Hutto. Um, will insurance companies expect to see our DNA before insuring us? Absolutely. Um, and the, oh, I can answer that one for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> not, that's not unanswerable. Um, would potential employers expect to see our DNA and favour those with better DNA over others? Absolutely. And this is you know, the subject of the film Gattaca, where they were launching humans off into space yep. and they were only willing to launch the ones which had the best DNA because they had the best chance. Now, in Gattaca, they'd reached the stage where some humans were bred using DNA and yep. others were just natural birth. And right. the film follows a protagonist who's simply a natural birth child. 
and the problems he has getting anything more than a floor sleep sweeper's job. Yes. Um, because, you know, why would we bother to train anybody who doesn't have... Without the optimal DNA. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, can that person sue for, sue for genetic discrimination, had I? Well, that depends on how you frame the laws. Yeah. Could a company that invents a new creature register a patent on its DNA sequence? Absolutely. So, since the agricultural revolution, humans have owned individual animals... But will it soon be possible to own an entire species? Well, this was one of the questions uh, Michael Crichton raised in Next, where a particular human had a resistance to some form of cancer or something, I think it was, and a company had taken that gene and then, having identified it, had patented that gene line. Mm. Due to internal... Um, uh, competition between companies and um, another company had destroyed their stock of that gene line. Yep. So they were now trying to get the original back from the family descendants of the person from whom they'd obtained this gene. And they were saying that we own the patent on this and he not giving it to us he is breaking the law. Yeah. He is, in fact, using our gene. Yeah. And, you know, the ethical issues of the book, this is one of the, the strands of it, really, really interesting. And I think they're now rethinking the whole idea that you can patent genes. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's still a complex issue it in is. the world, what you can and can't own, what intellectual property is, all this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, we are also, there is a... Thing going on about creation of life totally from scratch. Yep. Not using any existing DNA or one of the big problems is the cell because mostly what they do is they take some DNA and put it into a bacterium cell because they still need a structure to reproduce from. Yeah. And a chicken and the egg problem. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, that's making good progress. It's not 100% there yet, but it keeps progressing. <sighs> wow. So much going on, Hado. Oh, you, don't, you don't encounter it unless you look for it. Okay. There's plenty of information out there, but it's not something that I tend to read the media that's in front of me, and they're not talking about this stuff that much. No, they are. Mm. Um, so medicine will probably become more focused not just on preventing illnesses, but on enhancing human capabilities. Yes. Um, but will this domain be the preserve of the rich, Hado? Because it might be an expensive treatment. Almost, this is why I say, so who's going to own the cloning machines? Yeah, and, and who's going to be able to afford the treatment? Yeah. So throughout history, the nobility have, have pretended to be better. Yes. Maybe a royal blood, blue blood, all this no, sort of stuff. Uh, We're actually different to you peasants. Now, it was all bullshit. But there's a potential reality in the, in the near future where that will actually be a reality. Yes. Uh, where some people will be better yep. uh, biologically than others. It's ironic that just as we're starting to recognise the equality of all humans by human liberalism and things like that, we might actually be developing the top technologies that make it obsolete. Yes. Mm. Very good point. <laughs> yeah, it is a good point. Um, will we change Homo sapiens itself, not just our physical capabilities, but our emotions and desires as well? If this all takes place, the future masters of the world will be more different from Homo sapiens than we are from the Neanderthals. Yeah. Which is probably not that different. And what, of course, has not even been mentioned here is the whole idea of the soul. I mean, so much of human liberalism 
really gets back to all men are equal before God because all souls are equal. That's right. But are these things going to have souls? Yeah, yeah. Um, in a sense, we're inventing reality as we go forward. Yes. Which is not something we've, you know, before we were kind of constrained to reality in a sense, and now yeah. we're kind of creating our new reality. Yes. It's pretty crazy. So we can actually define this, we can actually define this time as a singularity, whereby all the concepts that give meaning to our world become irrelevant. So yes. in a sense, you and I can't even, we're, we're in the wrong paradigm. Yes. We can't really even understand what's going to make our successes tick, right? Yes. Um, asking, so similarly, asking what happened before the Big Bang may well be a meaningless question because Indeed. there was no before the Big Bang. It's an example of a singularity. Yeah, time may have started with the Yeah, Bang. we might be in a similar situation where we're sitting, okay, what would the future us be? Well, not the future us, but our successes be like, and yeah. we probably can't begin to yeah, that's understand right. or The answer it. can't be put in any form we could understand. Yeah. Um, the answers are just so far beyond our experience and comprehension as to be meaningless to us. And Harari makes the point that if you don't, if you're not worried about this, then you haven't thought hard enough about it. Absolutely. Um, so just to wrap up the chapter before we get on to our unanswerable questions after, or possibly unanswerable questions after a break, um, let's talk Frankenstein. Yes, us. absolutely. <laughs> Mary, Mary Shelley, what she did. Well, yeah, in 1818, she published Frankenstein, which is the story of a scientist who creates an artificial being who goes on to wreak havoc. Now, Frankenstein's not the mo monster, no. Pardo. Frankenstein's he's, the doctor. He's the doctor. It's Frankenstein's right. monster. That's right. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm well aware of that. Or, or as Gene Wilder would say, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this story basically serves as a warning to us that if we try to play God and engineer life, then bad consequences will result. Yeah. Okay. But these days are fast approaching, Hutto. So barring us destroying ourselves before we get a chance to do it, the pace of technological development will soon lead to the replacement of Homo sapiens. Yes. And in a sense, that's as good as fact. And that's what's going to happen. Yes. Okay. Now, we don't like to think about this. And this is why in books like Frankenstein, the humans end up saving the day and the monster gets destroyed. Yeah. Because we don't like to think, oh, we're going to make ourselves obsolete. Look, it's one, it's one of the things I point out in Star Trek. Um, in Star Trek, you've got the human beings, and then you've got Data, who's trying to become a human being, yeah. and then you've got the Borgs, who are the enemy. Yeah. Now, the reality is we will be the Borgs. Yeah, yeah. Data will be the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Um, human beings will be extinct. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good example, because when we look at science fiction... We look at human beings out in spaceships, you know, fighting aliens and doing yep. those sort of things, um, rather than the complete extinction of our species yep. and some other possibly inorganic creature having all the fun. Yeah. Um, so in the Frankenstein story, humans eventually destroy the creature, and we like that because a hidden assumption in that that we are the best of all beings yep. and it's the right thing to do for us yep. to sort of come the out. Arrogance trans. of humanity. Yeah. And we cannot possibly be improved upon, Hutto. Yep. Well, we put that in a bunch of our religious ideas. Yeah. And we struggle with the idea that uh, future engineers could develop the human spirit as well as better bodies to create something truly superior yep. to us. Um, and that's something will probably look down on us the way we do on Neanderthals. And probably more so, actually, because I'd say we're, gonna, we're closer to Neanderthals than this new being will be to us. Absolutely. Yeah, it might be the way we look down. Uh, you know, 
um, worms. I think we look down on worms mostly. Well, we usually work... Or cockroaches, on... that's a good example. Yes, <laughs> yes. But we, I mean, we usually work on the untermensch, uh, you know, the uh, inferior human beings who are not quite human. Uh, we have some really sick faults in our species. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, some of these ideas may actually never come to pass, um, but we should take serious, seriously these ideas because the next stage of history will include not only technological and organisational transformations, but also fundamental transformations in humanity, in our consciousness and our Absolutely. identity. So what do we want to become? Um, and this question is, in a sense, the biggest of all questions, and it, it dwarfs the debate that currently we're preoccupied with. Yes. Uh, all of today's debates between religions, ideologies, nations and classes will basically just disappear yes. as irrelevant, along with homo sapiens. Yes. It is doubtful that our successors will subscribe to Christianity or uh, Marxism, for example. Okay. Um, now, here's where the Gilgamesh project comes in. If you ask a scientist why they're studying the genome or trying to connect a brain to a computer or trying to create a mind inside a computer, they pretty much always give you the same answer. We're trying to cure diseases and save human lives. Mm -hmm. Because no one's ever going to object to that answer. It's a, well, it's it's a, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, that absolutely. answer. Absolutely. I mean, if you're after funding, these are the answers <laughs> you get. Yeah, now, but is it true? Um, so the Gilgamesh Project is the flagship of modern science, and the Gilgamesh Project is the attempt to live forever. Yeah. And it's used to justify just about everything that science does at the at its core. Yeah, and to the general populace. Now, if you're talking to the uh, the lords and masters, then you're talking about it will enhance national security and make sure that we can stop terrorists and these sort of things. Well, it's saving human lives. I mean, yeah. you know, you've you know, you just got to go down a couple yeah. of layers. They don't always come out and say the exact same sentence, but it pretty much means the same. Exactly, uh, even though they're killing, they've got to kill a million of someone else to save 10,000 of theirs, it still comes under the saving human lives um, uh, explanation. Yeah, but it also comes about keeping the government in charge. If you're yeah, but they're not the saying CCC. that. They're not saying that. In China, they are. Right. And you go and talk to DARPA, they know where their funding comes from. Yeah, okay. Um, so the Gilgamesh Project is the flagship of modern science, and... The problem is Frankenstein sits on the shoulders of Gilgamesh, Hutto. It might be impossible to stop the Gilgamesh project or stop Gilgamesh, but if so, it's also impossible to stop Frankenstein. Yes, I do agree with that last statement. And this is where... Um, Partially because I got into your notes and rewrote it. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is where uh, Hutto ends the chapter... And he says, okay, one of our big questions is, what do we want to become? Yes. But he takes it a step further than that, because if we can engineer our desires too, the question really becomes, what do we want to want? Yes. And that's one of the deepest questions we can probably ever ask. And I'm 100% with Harari on this. He thinks the way I do, and this is the sort of question I ask, and... Yeah, this is one of the big questions of humanity. And it's also, you know, he talks about the future humans not being subscribers to Christianity or Marxism. Um, to some extent that's true, but what has not been talked about here 
is issues of things like the South, freedom of choice, all these sorts of things. Um, because technology doesn't engage with them, um, but ethics very much does. Yeah, see, I would go back to the singularity and say, I don't think we can say what the technology will and won't engage with in uh, 100,000 years' time. Oh, it's not just 100,000 years. I yeah. mean, the, the big issue is such things as qualia. Um, can we, in fact, make a totally artificial being mm. that has qualia? Well, mm. as one of the earliest questions about do computers think was answered, if you can define thinking, the answer is yes. Mm. Um, and I, that's pretty close to the qualia problem. Too. Right. See, to me, they're specific problems of our day, and uh, I think they'll fade into insignificance uh, with time. Right. That's an interesting view. I'm not sure that I agree with it, but a topic for further debate. All right, so we've nearly gone an hour, Hutto, and we've only got our possibly unanswerable questions to go. Yes. So I suggest we uh, have a bit of a break, maybe have a cuppa, argue a bit more offline, and then we'll come back and get you to uh, tell us, show us how smart you are. <laughs> or, or, or aren't. Or aren't, indeed, sir. So, with that, I'll see you on the flip flop. On the flip flop. <laughs> okay, so welcome back to uh, Autodidacts Anonymous. We're up to our possibly unanswerable questions uh, time of the podcast. Hello, it's your time to shine. And. Would you like me to begin? Indeed. Take us away. All right. So the first question is a, is, a, is a trap for you. It's a question that I've asked you before and we're revisiting it because right. I've since found some new information. Right. Are humans still subject to biological evolution or only to intelligent design? Right. Um, obviously, we are still subject to biological evolution in the sense, for example, that our digestive system is becoming less and less capable of digesting unprocessed foods. Homo species, family, learnt the use of fire and cooking a million years ago. Yep. And as a result of that, we have become progressively less able to digest unprocessed foods. It's a good example. Yeah. Now, this is an example where, in one sense, yes, this is biological evolution, Nevertheless, it's coming about as a result of homo technology, and this was happening long before homo sapiens sapiens even existed as a species. Yep. So, yes, it's natural biological evolution, but in equally, this is a result of us changing our circumstances. Yeah, environmental. okay. And that's completely aside from the issue of genetic engineering that we're now into, whereby we're starting to redesign our own species. So both are running, and increasingly it will be the genetic engineering that shapes our future. Yep. But, yeah, at all times, evolution continues. Yep, okay. Well, I think that's the correct answer. Oh, thank you. Um, I've got two marks, two marks. Because I asked you that once before... I thought your answer was kind of, uh, it's pretty much stopped, you know, and it's more on artificial design mm. now. But I read recently online that humans are developing a third artery down their arms. And apparently yes. within 100 years, about 85% of us are going to have a third artery. Yes. 
Um, I don't know why that is, but that's a, that's a case of evolution, biological evolution taking place in our current day. Indeed. And, of course, there's the whole thing about the, uh, the blue-eyed blondes and whether we're going to lose them or, or whatever. And of course, are we going to lose them, are we? Well, OK. <laughs> the, depending on how you read the paper, and it's very technical, if one changes nothing gradually the number of blue-eyed blondes across the global population is going to steadily decrease. Right. Okay. Um, extrapolate that for a long time and eventually you lose them all. Together. Yeah, well, if we all interbreed forever, we'll all end up, you know, brown people with brown hair and, you know, and probably brown eyes, I'd imagine. Quite possibly back where we started, who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll give you a tick for that. So, Hutto, here's a question for you. I'm asking the big questions. Yeah. If you lived in the Ottoman Empire... Would you have pretended to be a eunuch in order to get the job guarding the Sultan's harem? Ah, yeah, I love this question. That, uh, um, look, uh, it's, it's a job that's highly desirable, no question about that. Yeah, um, but the, the prerequisites aren't too flash. Yeah, look, I'm a bit concerned about their quality assurance processes. <laughs> I think they make darn sure you are a eunuch. <laughs> oh, they'd be checking it once a week or something. Yeah, so... Uh, it does rather depend on uh, uh, how rigorous I think their uh, checking processes are. I think I'd stay away from that one. It depends how keen you were to have that first week, I suppose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you better, if you wanted to do it, you'd better practice your soprano singing, uh, Hutto. That might get you the gig. Well, it might get me the gig. My, my soprano singing's not too bad, actually. Oh, OK. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe you're born in the wrong time and place. Um, my next question is, would you like to have a green fluorescent pet rabbit? Absolutely. I mean, what better present can you give to your kids? I know. My daughter would have absolutely loved this. I'd like one too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, so I'll give you a tick for that as well. So I better, I better start asking you some harder ones because you're getting too many marks. Next question. Are our technological advancements outpacing our ability to make wise use of the skills? I would say, frankly... Yes, and they always have. But, of course, our rate of technological advancement is now accelerating exponentially. Um, heading to the singularity, in fact. Heading to the singularity. And, yes, it's always the case that we develop the technologies and we really learn how to utilise them properly down the track. In fact, it's been estimated that it takes at least one generation before we get to that stage, which is one of the reasons why military technology tends to be a generation or two old. And right. it's also true with NASA. Um, we like to have technology that we understood, proven, and know how to use mm. before we put it in critical applications mm. like military and, you know, it's very hard to do maintenance. Yeah. Or you don't want, your, you don't want your, um, your spaceship running on Windows 95 to, uh, to crash on you, do you? Well, exactly right. Yeah. Um, they have done some very clever retrofits, and they also had to retrofit the um, the Hubble when they had a problem with the the mirrors. But generally, that's hideously difficult and expensive to do, and you don't want to go down that road. Mm. So we've always tended to develop technology and then work out things like the social consequences, the industrial revolution, and everything else afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's becoming an increasingly big problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other the other uh, real example that comes to my mind is we spoke about uh, in this podcast how 
a lot of this biogenetic engineering is really being held up, not by the technology, but by the politics and the Correct. ethics of it and so yes. forth, which is a good thing, of course, but, um, uh, you know, we, we're just not advanced enough in our philosophy and our ethics and our, Correct. you know, to, to be able to handle all this amazing power that this technology can give us. Correct. And so in, in another sense, I'm saying I'm very glad to see these sort of technologies held up by our ethics, etc., because the more time we can give ourselves to work out the implications, the better. Mm. Um, mm. And there's more of that further down in your questions. Yep. So my next question is related, actually. If we had the technical capabilities, how long would ethical objections be able to hold back bioengineering? I shouldn't say would, I should say will, because it's the real world. How long will ethical objections be able to hold back bioengineering, assuming that it could prolong human life indefinitely or conquer incurable diseases or upgrade our cognitive and emotional abilities? You know, how long will we be able to keep our fingers in the dam? Yeah. If at all. But I like that last analogy too. Put fingers in the dam is pretty much what we're doing. Yeah. Um, look, the allure of uh, perfect, healthy, long-lived human, you know, this, this is so desirable, every hand is going to reach for the fruit. An irresistible force, I would say. Yeah, um, but, you know, Greek mythology keeps on pointing out to us the desperate consequences of opening Pandora's box and, and reaching for these things and flying too near the sun. Um, the Greeks were really good on that sort of stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's the old story. Yeah, okay, everybody wants to live longer, but if you get this technology, you, you and I aren't going to live longer. It's going to be Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and, you know, yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Exactly so. You know, <laughs> the wealthy and the powerful will get access to this technology. The rest of us will probably have less than we started with. Yeah. Um, we, what sort of world do we live in where Rupert Murdoch never dies? Yeah. Um, is this a desirable world in any viewpoint apart from possibly Rupert's? Yeah. 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 And as you said, have you, as you've said previously, even his kids probably wouldn't be uh, too excited about that possibility. Exactly so. And it. Uh, the social consequences of removing the great level are, are huge. Um, so, yeah, look, we need all the time we can get to think some of these things through before the technology keeps moving ahead. It will move ahead, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that, that's my answer. My answer is you can't hold back the river forever. You can't yeah. hold back the tide, and the, the tide will come at some point. Yeah. But and, so I uh, think your fingers in the dam is, is a very good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, as it's as, as more and more holes, you run out of fingers, Hutto. Yeah. And that's what will happen, I think. Um, next question. I think I might have asked you this before, but it came to me again while I was uh, going through this chapter. Do we live in a virtual reality? Uh, yeah, I've said yes to that question before. And it's a topic that I think at some stage we need to get a book on this, or maybe I'll even write the book on this, who knows, um, but it's a topic that needs a book and needs to be discussed within that framework. Virtual realities are, in themselves, that's a very big field. Yeah. Are we the dreamer in the dream in the mind of God, are we, um, or are you talking about something like the Matrix or whatever, and if we just throw the term virtual reality around without 
discussing the whole range of what we're talking about. We're just going to confuse listeners. And, uh, <laughs> and, and some, not to mention me. And somewhere between the flip and the flop, you pointed out to me what a bad idea that is, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so you'll get zero for that then, dodged question. Uh, my next one is, are computer viruses a life form? Right, there is, of course, a lot of debate in the biological sciences as to whether viruses are a life form and alive in themselves. Oh, you mean biological viruses? Yes. Uh, and so, I didn't think that was in debate. I thought we just knew that they were. But they but, can't survive on their own, can they? That's correct. Yeah. Um, they only meet some of the standard definitions of biological life. Um, so I would say that pretty much exactly the same questions arise around computer viruses. If, uh, to the extent that biological viruses are alive, yes, computer viruses are alive. Yeah. I think they meet a lot of the definitions for life. I think, you know, for an inorganic life form, if you like, mm -hmm. as we discussed in the chapter. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I suppose I don't actually know what the definition of life, the biological definition of life is. But if it means you have to be self-sustaining, uh, but then you could argue that no organism is self-sustaining because we need, an, we need an atmosphere and everything to be able um, to live. Okay. Um, yes, there's... there's Things around that self-sustaining in what, and this comes up with regard to newborn. Because in a sense, a virus is self-sustaining, but it needs cyberspace to sustain it. Yes, but that doesn't make it different but, to but any that, life. But that simply it. makes cyberspace equivalent of its biosphere. Yeah, so that's, that's right. That's not an issue. Yeah. Um, look, the standard biological definitions of life, as taught in school, around the, uh, uh, must um, respire, um, procreate. Consume food, excrete, these sort of things. Right. Now, a virus does none of these things. Um, does procreate. It does some. No, no, a virus cannot procreate by itself. Oh, so you're, but you're talking about sexual uh, life now. No, so. no, no, I'm not. Okay. A, a virus does not have the ability to replicate itself without borrowing the replication mechanism of another cell. Right. Um, so that's one of the issues. And that, of course, is essentially also true of um, cyber viruses. Yeah. Uh, they too have to borrow a, a copying function from somewhere. They don't contain it themselves. Okay. So you're saying computer viruses are not a life form? No, I'm saying they're a life form to exactly to the same extent as a biological virus. The yeah. issues relating to the definition of life apply pretty much equally well to both. Okay. Okay. Um, is it possible that rather than God creating us, we are in the process of creating God? Yes. Um, we have always had some responsibility for how we went about creating God in our own image. Yep. Um, none of which says whether or not there is or isn't a God, but in terms of how we perceive that God, we've always tended to put our own anthropomorphic projections on that. Um, and now, of course, it is unquestionably true that we are becoming capable of creating life and creating virtual realities. Now, I've already answered yes to the question of do we live in a virtual reality, which in a sense automatically says one is saying yes to the idea that there's some sort of God that created the virtual reality. Mm. Um, because whether or not life can come about without a creator and the whole evolutionary debate, a virtual reality is basically don't come about without a designer, I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it's the moment you say yes to virtual reality, you're giving a yes to ontology, which I don't greatly like, and you're giving a yes to the idea that there's some sort of creator god for the virtual reality, um, which doesn't mean that's an ultimate creator. Of Why does the creator of a virtual reality have to be a god? Are you, are you saying that any creator, we could call them god, or are you well, saying that it would be a godlike creature that's Well, I, I'm saying that for those within the virtual reality, the creator of the virtual reality appears as God. Okay, so that could be a computer engineer somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, okay. But from our perspective, that's Correct. God. Okay. And so when we create a virtual reality like World of Warcraft, we are creating gods for World of Warcraft as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're yeah. playing that role. It's gods all the way down. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. It's gods all the way down. Um, yeah, I, I wonder... I mean, this, this thought came to me uh, as we talked about where the species might possibly go over the next millions of years, if you like. And I wonder whether if pre-Big Bang, in the singularity, if you like, that was just God. Yeah. And then God said, let there be light, and bang, there was a Big Bang. And somehow or other, we're separated from God, although God's still a thing. But, yeah. And we're made of God as well. Yeah. Throughout this whole time, and then maybe, maybe... The technological singularity will be the return to God. That that was kind of where my thought was in terms of are we creating God? I mean, is is the whole point of this a, a return journey, if you like, to where we in some sense began? Now I don't know if that's true or not, but that was where my head went to when I asked this question. Well, I think it's a fascinating concept. I'm sure one could write some really interesting science fiction books on that. One Do you think I should lay off the mushrooms? <laughs> we could probably write some philosophy stuff on that, and I think it's a great ground for establishing a whole new religion. We've got the issue of how we make sure that we are that God. But seriously, that, that's, that's a really worthwhile question to oh, explore. No, well, we won't be that God. What, like, you know, in a sense, uh, we'll be a step on the journey, yes. and it'll be something else by yes. the time we reach, reach that singularity. And, and I think also... You know, for all that I'm a Christian, I also wonder if humanity is not simply a step along the journey. Yeah, well, I think you... Yeah, it's tough to reconcile with Christianity, but that's the feeling I get from you, is that you think we are the critical step to the next stage of, of evolution. Well, in a sense, what I'm saying is that... I'm saying we are not the ultimate. Yeah. We are simply a step. But you think, we're a, we, you think we're a critical step, though, don't you? I do think we're a yeah, critical step, yeah. yes. And that, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm, I don't assume that we're a critical step. But if it's all about, if it's about this technological, technological singularity, then in a sense we are critical. Uh, although if we destroy ourselves, maybe some other creature can come along and do the same thing. Correct. Um, don't know the answer to that one, Hutto, but I expect you to know. Well, this is the yeah. other thing, of course, is that Christianity really doesn't engage with technology on any level. Um, no, that's true, actually. And in fact, maybe uh, they talk about carpenters, so maybe saws and uh, no, look, hammers. The problem is, I mean, yes, they, they, talk, <laughs> they talk about the, the potter and the clay, and yeah. that's, that's nearly as close as it gets. Yeah, and, um, a, and a bit of um, agriculture and yeah. You know, yeah, farming sheep and so forth. Well, and, and this is where, you know, Harari... Produced the whole concept of ignorance. You know, the scientific revolution yeah. was a revolution of ignorance. Yeah. Um, and until that point, this is not the way any religions thought at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All 
All right, so I'm going to rehash two of Harari's questions, which he asked at the end of the, of the chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll give them to you both at the same time, actually. The first one is, what do we want to become? Mm -hmm. And the second one is, what do we want to want? Yes. Um, just easy, just easy ones, Hello, easy ones for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're getting really good, aren't you? <laughs> if you don't know that, then... Yeah. I first came across this problem in connection with prayer. Yes. Where I was kind of trying to pray to be a good person or whatever you want to be. But what I was realising was that I wasn't sure that I even had enough desire to want that. And so my first prayer was that God could help me to want to want the right things. Yeah. Um, because that was, that pitiful level was really as close as I could get yeah. while being honest. Yeah. Um, now, I think Harari, once again, has hit the nail right on the head here. Um, if you can breed mice who are no longer adulterous, or was it rats, I think? Uh, it was voils, I Yes, voils. Yeah, right. which I'd never heard of before, but... Yeah. Then we are in a stage where we can use chemistry and genetics to direct our own moralities. Um, so we can decide, okay, we're going to make a bunch of human beings who want to be socialites. They all want to be together. Okay, and we're not going to have any of these people who want to go climbing Mount Everest by themselves or sailing around the world or even sending off to Mars. It's all going to be about community. We have the ability to effectively make ourselves a totally social race. Is this something we want to do? Mm. Is there strength in diversity or is it all about uniformity or is it all about uh, stability? All these sorts of questions. Yeah. And suddenly we're reducing our morality and our desires into outcomes of a process. Mm. Um, I think these are huge issues. Mm. Our ethics, our religions, our, our philosophies are not barely touching the bottom end of this stuff right now. Um, if, if I was going to have a crack at the question, don't it. hold me to this because there's probably flaws in it, but if, if I was to answer what do we want to become, I would probably say that emerging, a merging of our individual consciousnesses into one consciousness could well be desirable. I think a lot of our ethical issues and a lot of our problems come from the illusion of separateness or the reality of separateness, if you want to call it that, we have. So I have an incentive to hit you on the head and take the $10 out of your wallet. But if I know that you and I are the same person, I don't, I don't have the, an incentive to hit myself on the head and take $10 out of my own wallet. So I think that a higher level of consciousness where we're all somehow the same person or being, if you want to, want to call it that, might be a desirable step. Okay. Um, you're quite right, of course, that it might be. We're talking about here about such things as mind, um, and that's another area in which our current understanding is really very limited. Yes. Um, I, I think at this stage we'd probably have to say, as a species, we simply don't know enough to even know what we want or should want or could want. Well, Harari, I think that's a good answer because I think Harari would agree with that answer. Uh, he says, if you if you haven't thought about this question, 
Uh, sorry, if you're not disturbed by this question, then you haven't thought about it enough. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've, I've thought about this question a lot. Right. And I'm quite disturbed by it. Yeah, okay. Oh, I thought you'd have a great answer then if you thought about it so much. <laughs> well, I, I have, but in the first place, you, know, you and I have touched upon the question of mind before, um, and I've done a lot of reading in this area. I have some extended ideas of mind which at this stage are not in agreement with you on it. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm certainly more informed. Yeah, I'd agree with And that. it's... It's not simple. It no. is absolutely not simple. Yeah. Well, I like to keep it simple. I'm following the KISS principle on my theories of mind. And, ten word, uh, ten and word you answers. And you'll never shake me out of it, huh? <laughs> ten word answers to complex questions. <laughs> That's right. They're absolutely our problem. So, this is a radical first, Hutto. You've actually written your own question I, here. I have, yes. Now, I'm a bit worried you're going to get a point for this, because I don't think you would have asked a question that you didn't know the answer to. But what I'll get you to do is first explain the question to me, because I don't fully understand it, and then you can answer it. How's that sound? Okay. This, this came out of a noted thinker, came up with a thought. I first came across Shall I ask the question before you start answering it? Yeah, probably good. Okay, so should we make the utopia button, and I don't know what the utopia button is, right. and should we push it? Right. I refer to it as the utopia button. The idea is that we can make a machine which, once activated by pushing the button, has a 90% chance, make that any percentage you like, of solving all human problems and helping us to live in a utopia with, if we want to go there, a conjoined, conjoined mind, which we all share, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also got a 10% chance, 1% chance, whatever it is, that it will just destroy everything. Right. Why about the human race destroy most of the earth and everything else? So yes. It's either fantastic, yeah. but it could have a really terrible consequence. Yep. Should we build this machine? And if we build it, should we push the button? In a sense, building the machine is only kicking the can down the road and making the decision whether you should push it. Correct. So I'm going to assume yes for building the machine, hello? Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm, you're supposed to be answering, uh, not me. Correct, um, no. Should we push it? I'm going to push it, but... Okay. What do you think? Okay. Taking the second question first, what's the point of going to the trouble of building the machine if you don't push the button? Oh, sunk cost fallacy. No, there's still plenty of point. Think of all you'd learn while you're building the machine, hello. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> At least it gives you some thinking time while you're building the machine. <laughs> Which we're going to need. <laughs> we're building this thing. Should we actually It's going to take thing? us 5,000 years to develop. Oh, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so... But uh, the other thing I would say to that is, when have we ever built such a machine and not pushed the button? You actually came up with a very good one in the interim of the flip-flop. You might as well give it now. Yeah, so um, when, uh, when we were discussing this offline, because I didn't know what it meant, yeah. you told me about this utopia button, and I said, you know, we've actually faced that decision in reality. So I can't remember the exact details, but it turns out that the first time they tested the Americans, tested an atomic uh, bomb, yep. there was some non-trivial percentage that they were actually going to uh, light the atmosphere and set the world on fire, basically destroy the world. Yep. And when I say non-trivial, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it was a, a 1 in 200 chance of doing that. And what do you think they did, Hutto? Did they test the bomb? Yep. They did. Sure they did. pressed the button. Yep. Now, you might think, oh, 1 in 200 chance, that's not much. 
but it's the same odds of throwing a six three times in a row on a die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is something which comes up too often. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'd have to Google it, but I think the odds were a bit less than that. Yeah. I, I think it might have been one in a hundred or something. Yeah. They, they had their theories about what it should all do, but as you say, the theories had never been tested before. The fact that well, that's happened. right. So, 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 so if you, it doesn't mean that if you pressed it 100 times, one time the world would blow up. It just meant yeah. that they had an uncertainty level yeah. of you know, 1%, I'm going to say, yeah. that the world was actually going to explode. Yeah. And they, they bloody pressed it, didn't they? They did. That's, they did. that's amazing. And so that, that was playing around with these sort of odds just to develop a super weapon. Yes. So if you were offered the chance of utopia, yeah. it's going to be pressed at some stage. Well, I would, you, know, you could almost argue that unless we reach this utopia, we're going to destroy ourselves or get destroyed anyway. That's why I would probably press the button. But, I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say that in theory. I mean, if I actually was in the room and had to press the button, it'd be pretty, I'd be sweating. That's, <laughs> that's and once again, you've made a, a wonderful point. Um, you know, do we have any option to pushing the button? What alternative future do we Logically, have? in a sense, we probably don't have an option, but emotionally we do, right? Right. Now, here's the other thing, which is the first part of the question is, should we build the machine? And that's the trick part of the question, because the whole point is, we have been building this machine very steadily yeah. for the last 50, maybe the last 200 years. But yeah, bit every, by bit. Everything we're doing is building this machine. And yeah. if, you, if you don't want to press this button, we need to stop it. Now, question is, can we stop it? Well, you know, that reminds me of the Luddites, who were the people that uh, attacked all the... Sure. Um, all the um, cotton jeans and stuff yep. in here you know, because it was taking up their jobs. And once again, you're putting your fingers in the dam. These forces, uh, these forces, in a sense, seem to be unstoppable. I mean, who has the power to tell the world what to do? And the answer is essentially nobody. Well, this is essentially what Harari's book has been about, that there are these great driving forces of history. Yeah, and I, I actually believe that. I believe that there's uh, great driving forces. To well, yeah, um, so... I think it's the machine is being built. Yeah, I we think it's true. We will continue to build it, and we will eventually press the button. And so, what I'm saying is, I'm willing to go and burn down a few luddite spinning jennies or whatever yeah. to uh, to delay it as far as possible. Because yeah. the more we know, the better our chances of well, amongst other things, building the machine right, because there's an old thing about once you built it, you realise how you should have built it. Oh, okay, so you're saying let's take the maximum amount of time yes. to maximise our chances of, yes. of getting the utopian now, solution. Now, I think AGI is a wonderful thing, artificial general intelligence, but I'm also saying let's not hasten towards it. Let us... But it's so easy to say things like let's not hasten, but how do you enforce that in the real world? Well, I mean, the, I don't know if you can. Well, this is the problem because the competitive nature of nations, the nation which can first put an artificial general intelligence in charge of its military derives an obvious battlefield benefit. Yeah. But it's not just nation states, it's corporations as well. well it's, Capitalism is competitive. Yes, um, so the whole problem is that competitiveness is the force which is driving us yeah. to do these things. Um, 
I mean, the only way I can see to make worldwide decisions is have one person who makes the decision for everybody in the world, which is probably not a, a solution that we want. Well, this, this anyway. is the argument for globalisation. The only way to end war is to have only one government with military forces. Well, that's true, but that's, that's a lower level than someone enforcing a decision. You know what I mean? Okay, I suppose you could have a world government that enforces a decision. I suppose you could, but... You know, to me, it's like one guy at the top of the tree saying, right, hold everything right now, and everyone does what he says. Yeah, well, that's right. You know, do we want that? We've probably done it. Well, we have a question as to whether we want it, and it's certainly not clear how the heck we could get there from here. Yeah, and also you get black markets and things as all well. The, you know, no stuff. government has yep. com complete power. No, and nor are we by any means sure that we want them to. Oh, God, this is getting very dystopian, Hutto. I suppose it's that sort of chapter. Well, you asked this impossible question, <laughs> and what we're agreeing is there's some real difficulties to this question. I don't think I want to do Homo Deus. I'm too scared. Well, unfortunately, you know, my argument is we live in the 21st century, and we need to answer these questions or we're not yeah. going to survive the yeah. 21st century. But and at this stage... Apart from people like Ferrari and ourselves, nobody's even engaging with them. Right. Um, and this is, you know, I read Next in about 2010, and it was written in about 2004. And I was horrified that yeah. how much was going on that I didn't know about until I read that book. Yeah. So he bases his books on, on reality, doesn't oh, he? Oh, yes, yes. Crichton yeah. so does a lot of research into technology before he writes. Yeah. And next was the most well put together and disturbing of all the books he's written. Okay. Um, well, I might steer, steer away from that one then. I don't like being disturbed, hello. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, top question. Good marks to you, good marks to Harari. Um, yes, uh, look, we, you know, we've got lots of people running around worried about the biosphere. I think we've got lots of bigger problems to worry about than the biosphere. Yeah. yeah. All right, last question, hello. Would you like your consciousness to be transferred to the cloud so you could live as this kind of immortal... Disembodied. Yeah, disembodied, possibly omnipotent for what it's worth being, rather than be a, uh, a homo sapiens like you currently are? Yeah, um, and this, of course, also applies to decentralised artificial general intelligences. Um, but I suppose what we're doing is... When I think AI, I don't think... It's your mind in the AI, do you know what I mean? We're, we're bringing your personality and everything into yeah. it as well. So your experience is being that AI. Well, my experience, of course, is all based on living in a body that's got two hands, two feet, and feet and kind of likes eating. Um, <laughs> you, you stick me in a, as a decentralised AI with access to, you know, I can access every toaster and camera on the internet... I've got no idea. I think it would probably just blow my a fuse in my brain, and I would. Maybe you'd adjust to it because you might have millions of years to get used to it. Maybe I would. Um, yeah. I think the only thing we can be absolutely certain about is that at the end of it all, I wouldn't be anything I recognise as me. That's yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. No, actually, that's a good answer because it's not you anymore, is it? No. So in a sense, you're still separate from, from that yeah. reality. See, yeah. see, I define a human being, as I say, a human has four aspects. The physical, the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual. Yeah. Now, you put me in there, my physical form has just become heaven only knows what, 
and my emotions how do you transfer well i'm assuming that we i'm assuming that we're keeping your personality intact so i suppose in a sense we're bringing your emotions and your intellect although your intellect's only going to grow exponentially of course correct but all these things interact so you know when yeah. i'm nervous my heart beats and i sweat well neither of those apply um, oh yeah, so emotions are really a physical uh, thing rather than, so in a sense a computer can't have emotions. Emotions have a physical... Yeah, reality. Yeah, uh, all these things in play. So yeah. we don't know anything about the soul, we don't know about the qualia. I don't have a body, well I've got a whole strange different body, but I don't think a toaster sweats, you know. How, how do I see myself? Maybe you just spend your time pirating movies and watching movies on Netflix for free or something. And if you needed money, you just get it out of you know some oh, well, some Swiss bank account. All the money in the world is now available to pay for your Netflix subscription. Yes, maybe that's how you'd entertain yourself. You wouldn't have to go to the gym anymore. Um, <laughs> maybe you'd be happy as Larry Hutter. Yeah, look, <laughs> I mean, I, I've just become some sort of decentralized god concept, but I'm, yeah. I'm really not Hutter anymore. Yeah. So your answer is you wouldn't like to do it, or you would? I'm saying I don't. Look, if you offer me this as an alternative to dying. I'll probably take it just from interest sake because I'm a curious being. What about a fear of dying sake? Uh, no, I'm not really afraid of dying. Oh, okay. uh, in fact, I'm in some ways quite looking forward to it because there may or may not be something after death. If there is, it's very interesting and if there isn't, I won't know about Maybe it. Maybe it's life in cyberspace, Hutto. We never well, know. Who knows? Um, but, you know, if you're going to offer me an alternative interesting stage, yeah, well, that, that attracts me. Yeah, okay. All right, so I'm going to give you a yes as long as you're dying. Okay. Yep. All right, so that's my final question. And, and, and now I'm going to add up all your marks. Now, so far I've given you integers, fractions, irrational numbers, unreal numbers. I'm actually going to give you a pretend number today. I'm going to give you 11 to 1. 11 to 1 is a very good number. Yes. I, I'll be happy with it. Yep. <laughs> I'm running out of ideas for my scores. I'll see what I can come up with, what other bullshit I can come up with next week. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, but, uh, now, in the next one, which is the concludium, I get to ask the questions. Oh, God. And I shall be scoring you on how well you think I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm a bit worried about that because you're a wiser man than me, Hello, so I yeah. like asking the questions, not necessarily answering them. But, uh, yeah, next week I'm looking forward to it because it's essentially just a quick summary of, uh, of the book, but then you... So, hurrah, it's got three pages, like a prologue, which we'll talk right. about. Yep. And then you and I will spend time talking about what we got out of the book and, and so yep. forth. I'm looking forward to that too. Hurrah! All right, so I'll see you on the flip-flop. On the flip-flop. <laughs> <laughs> Yay!